If your body gains weight whilst you're on your recovery journey to liberating yourself from disordered cognitions, rediscovering who you are and what your interests are and breaking free from food rules and re-engaging in your life, then it was supposed to. Hi, I'm your host, Imogen Barnes, an inspired mental health advocate, eating disorder survivor and your most fierce recovery companion. You're listening to Empowered, a powerment podcast that celebrates demolishing your limiting belief systems, inspires growth and focuses on integrating your values into your goals and behaviours. If you're ready to be motivated, educated and inspired to start your journey to recovery, whatever form that takes, listen in and prepare to be empowered. Hello, hello, gorgeous people. Happy fourth episode of Empowered. We've reached a little milestone there. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyway, I am so sorry. I know I promise podcasts every week, but sadly I didn't get to publish a podcast last week. And for the sake of being authentic, uh, which you know I'm totally here for, I thought I'd share the reason behind why I didn't actually get a pod out last week. And that is honestly and shamelessly because I didn't have the emotional capacity to do so. My stores were so depleted and I just needed some time to myself to replenish them. So I noticed I have been beginning to feel a little worn out. Um, As the uni semester is kind of drawing to a close, my exams are well and truly on the horizon and I feel like I have all this uni content just about coming out my ears. (laughs) And on top of that, I also went back to work full time since my LGA is no longer in lockdown. And overall, I think I've just been neglecting my own self-preservation a little bit. Anyway, so last Monday rolled around and I sat down to record my pod and I just felt so void of passion and energy to do so. And people, I love making this podcast. Honestly and truly, I feel as though I've discovered something that just answers the calls of my heart. So when I didn't feel like I had an in me to produce work in alignment with my usual standards and degree of enthusiasm and passion, I just didn't want to force it. I don't want to develop a relationship with advocacy and content creation that's driven by a compulsion um, or a need to do so or just a, yeah, a need to produce material even when I don't feel the genuine enthusiasm to do so. I just I don't want to fall out of love with this hobby as it feeds my soul and happiness so much. So yeah, I took the week off last week. Um, I actually took a couple of couple of days to step away from uni and from social media to collect myself a bit, reevaluate my intentions and plans. I wanted to, you know, reignite my energy and clean my mental slate a bit. Uh, I watched the, the whole new season of Sex Education, uh, which I couldn't recommend highly enough. By the way, I downloaded a couple of audiobooks um, and I just did my best to do a whole lot of nothing at all, which as someone who undeniably over distracts themselves with little projects, I actually find quite challenging. But I do feel better. So that's a good thing. Um, Forcing myself to be uncomfortable with not doing anything supposedly productive is my number one self-care tip, I think. You know, it's important to be okay with being at peace and allowing yourself to rest and recuperate. Um, also I learned that, you know, actually I learned this the agonizingly hard way, which I know a lot of us do, but that unless you take periodic breaks, your 
forced to take a long unplanned one when you inevitably burn out. Anywho, uh, it all actually worked out quite well, actually, because my new microphone arrived, which is fabulous because it means I no longer have to sit in my walk-in wardrobe to record these episodes. (laughs) So uh, yeah, the universe did reward me for taking a break in that regard. (laughs) And yes, just take it from me. It's far superior to stop and practice self-care as something you've scheduled than it is to have to reactively perform self-care when you've burned out or completely melted down. And if you're lucky, a couple of days worth of watching Netflix and eating banana bread in typical millennial fashion will be enough to replenish your energy and passion stores and allow you to keep powering on and being your incredible self. (laughs) Okay, and in typical Imogen fashion, I've already gone off on a tangent. Sorry, friends. (laughs) Okay, so let's launch into this week's episode. I thought this week I could do a little bit of a chilled out question and answer style podcast. I actually have a few interviews organized for the coming months, which is super duper exciting. And I thought it would be nice to just have a free flowing question session before we change things up for a little while. So once again, I asked you lovelies over on Instagram, which my handle is at I am underscore powering. If you have, I asked, sorry, if you have any questions to send my way relating to mental health, eating disorder recovery, etc. And I plan to sit here with my phone and answer the ones that were most frequently asked or felt particularly pertinent in this episode. Uh, As usual, here is a precautionary trigger warning for this episode. I won't be discussing numbers, explicit detail, or the recollection of disturbing experiences. However, if the discussion of eating disorders is something that leaves you feeling vulnerable in any way, please feel free to click away and to protect your peace. I'll also leave the links to support services that you can access in the show notes if this episode triggers anything for you. Also, I just, you guys know I love disclaimers. Um, I just need to let you know that I'm answering these questions as someone who has got personal experience with these topics. Um, I'm not an expert, so I'm merely speaking to my lived experience. And of course, I have no place to offer individual advice or any sort of substitute for professional support. Please reach out to support services if that's the kind of care that you are seeking. So to kick things off, easily the most frequently asked question I received was, how can I deal with weight gain and body changes in eating disorder recovery? Right, so I'm going to try and answer this question strategically because weight and body changes are not always, but really often, a very prominent uncomfortable theme in eating disorder recovery. Okay, so rather than merely weight gain, I think the term weight restoration actually better suits the concept of returning to your unique body state of relative health with regard to your weight in recovery. I personally employed this vocab change early on in my recovery because it reminds us that we're not actually gaining anything additional to our bodies or our lives that we don't actually require already. We are restoring health and to do so adequately, a great deal of the time that means restoring weight. We aren't gaining anything we weren't supposed to have. Rather, we're restoring what we should have never have lost or what was destined to exist in the first place in the presence, sorry, in the absence of suppression. So I suppose that's the first tip to dealing with body changes and eating sort of recovery. 
And that's having faith in your body's innate wisdom and its genetically predisposed weight set point. So regardless of where your weight sits, technically speaking, um, as in according to the arbitrary BMI chart, you may very well weight restore in recovery even beyond a point of supposed health. Or you might not even start recovery in a smaller body or under the impression that you quote unquote need to restore weight. But your body might know different. Have trust in your body. I will say that again. Have trust in your body. Your body's only motive is to allow you to be the healthiest version of yourself you possibly can be. It has no ulterior motive outside of this. It isn't plotting against you. If you gain weight beyond a place that you would have once deemed acceptable or that goes beyond the target weight perhaps that your team set for you, have faith in your own biological innate wisdom that your that your body possesses. If your body gains weight whilst you're on your recovery journey to liberating yourself from disordered cognitions, rediscovering who you are and what your interests are and breaking free from food rules and re-engaging in your life, then it was supposed to. And I'm going to be completely candid, body changes are excruciating to deal with, especially at the beginning. They're absolutely agonizing. But do you know what is more painful? Raging a war with your body just to suppress its genetically predisposed weight and therefore having to suffer an eating disorder as a consequence of this. I really like to think, what would I rather deal with? You know, the burden that is accepting my unsuppressed healthy weight or the burden that comes with resisting said body weight and therefore coping with the subsequent eating disorder that accompanies suppression. I think if if possessing your dream body means surrendering your capacity to live your dream life, I'm going to go out on a whim here and say that you'd sooner like to devote your time to accepting your unsuppressed form rather than trying to fight it. Okay, so moving on to step two to accepting weight gain and body changes in recovery. And I think this step is remembering that restoring weight is not the equivalent to being fully recovered. So obviously weight gain, when we take into consideration the broad scope of disordered eating, is not a universal experience. But if by chance you start recovery uh, with the need to restore weight in order to restore health, then you might know that progressing beyond this initial stage of recovery can be quite difficult. And I think this part is particularly difficult because it's around this time that the external pressure to gain weight tends to ease. And so does the sense of external validation and support that you've been receiving. And oftentimes following weight restoration, the generalized assumption from a lot of people, and that can include health professionals, is that you're, for lack of a better word, (laughs) cured. But we sufferers know weight restoration is not synonymous with being cured. The truth is far from that. Uh, And that's okay. Frequently, physical restoration occurs more rapidly than mental restoration. And your body's capacity to bounce back to a state of health is quite breathtaking. It can occur phenomenally fast and it's a credit to our bodies. Uh, But the mental progress in recovery from an eating disorder occurs at a much more gradual pace, unfortunately. And it's just unrealistic to expect psychological restoration to mimic that of physical restoration in terms of measurable progress. 
The simple fact is neural rewiring takes longer than physiological processes to heal. And that's okay. I try and remember that anxiety and guilt and generalized discomfort, of course, we're going to feel them in the beginning of recovery. And of course, we're going to feel them, you know, in the middle of recovery when perhaps our bodies have restored weight. Uh, But these, these sensations and these emotions alone have never killed anyone. But unchallenged eating disorders definitely have. Uh, Just keep in mind that, you know, recovery discomfort, it's not infinite. You know, it has a fixed point at which at some, at some stage it will end. But eating disorder discomfort, so the discomfort that you feel when you have sustained an eating disorder perpetually, that is, that's discomfort that's infinite. You know, that doesn't have a fixed point. So I think just really having grace for yourself, allowing yourself to feel the feels in recovery, allowing yourself to know that your pain is always valid regardless of whether or not you still feel like you have a quote-unquote sick body to accompany your sick mind. Um, You know, it's valid regardless of what your body looks like. You don't have a weight disorder. You have an eating disorder, which is a mental illness, not a weight illness. And just don't beat yourself up when you gain weight and your mind hasn't quite caught up with your physical progress. It will get there eventually, I promise. Okay, so yeah, just remember, don't beat yourself up in the instance your body heals more swiftly than your than your head. Um, to expect weight gain alone to be indicative of recovery from what is a psychological illness would be so unreasonable. Just release yourself from the pressure to be fully recovered when you gain weight. Yes, weight gain facilitates a more recovery-oriented mindset, and with weight gain comes physical regeneration and some degree of acceptance that you and, you know, mental progress that you need in order to heal. And it is such an essential component in terms of restoring your physical and psychological health. But it's not to be mistaken for the hallmark sign of recovery. You know, you will not be fully recovered when you restore weight. And that's okay. Okay, so now to step three to dealing with body size fluctuations. And that is do not place any expectation on a certain weight or BMI or clothing size or anything like that, to correlate with a full recovery. This, to me, just seems like setting yourself up for a perception of failure and disappointment in the likely instance you reach or surpass said expected point of recovery while still experiencing eating disorder-related thoughts, urges, cognitions, anxieties, etc. The reality for the majority of us sufferers, though, at least in my lived experience, is that you often surpass quote-unquote goal weights on your journey making peace with your body, your food, and your mind. And like I said earlier, this is okay. We can have trust in the process and faith in our bodies, knowing that they hold no ulterior motive outside of our health. If you gain weight relearning what it means to be at peace, then you are meant to gain that weight. Your body holds inherent wisdom and is only doing whatever is optimal for your health and well-being. A BMI chart will never be able to measure how holistically healthy you are, Your body sure as heck is not going to reach a magical place on a BMI chart and just decide, woohoo, looks like I'm fully recovered here then. Time to move on with my life. (laughs) Although that would be lovely. It's just um, not the case. And our body and mind are a bit more complex than that. It'd be super amazing to arrive at a goal weight or a clothing size and be instantly fixed. But, you know, this isn't our reality and we're just going to have to accept that. 
The best thing I've ever learned is to actually stop obsessing over the scale, target weights, past versions of my body, etc. And, you know, to stop trying to gain a perception of where my body might finally reach a state of health and peace. I just stopped trying to predict where I'd finally be recovered and where my body would be able to maintain a healthy weight. And I've just passed the full responsibility over to my body with guidance from medical experts, of course. But, you know, it's just so much more peaceful to think, my body knows what it's doing. I'm going to commit to feeding it without rules or hesitation. I'm going to keep challenging the rules of my mind. I'm going to keep complying with recovery-oriented goals. (laughs) And I'm going to have blind faith that my biology knows what's best for it. Because trust me, I tried in the past to micromanage my recovery body. I thought, cool, I'll get to X BMI and I'll maintain here for a while. Or I'll be recovered when I reach X weight. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, I never did coax my body into believing it was healthy where I'd planned for it to be healthy. Only my body has the power to decide that. Only my body has the power to decide when it's genuinely thriving. You just cannot fight your biology and win. You cannot think yourself into a state of health. And the truth is, the more you try and control your body, the more power you ultimately give to your eating disorder. Because any kind of fixation, at least in my case, lends itself to obsession, which feeds our disorders in every sense of the word. Like I said earlier, just try not to focus too much on where your body decides it's at its healthiest. Instead, just focus on breaking your food rules, challenging your cognitions, and becoming the most mentally resilient and recovered that you possibly can be. Then when you're completely perfectly healed and you are physically and mentally well in every sense of the word, well, then you'll finally know what it means for your body and mind to be at peace. But until then, you cannot predict when this will be the case. You just have to wait and see when you reach your internal state of equilibrium and your external state of equilibrium marked by both optimal psychological and physiological function. Just in the meantime, don't obsess over where your body will reside with regard to weight, although I know it's really tempting. You'll finally know when you're healthy. And until then, your body changes, they might come as a result of becoming more at peace with your demons. And that's that's okay. That's Your body was meant to change if that's happened. And you can trust it has your back. Okay, step four to being at peace with an evolving body. Remember that the only person you need to validate your weight gain to is yourself. Your body is yours, period. People may pass comments on your body, but try to see these as a mere reflection of how unfortunately weight-centric our society is, and try not to feel as though you have to explain yourself, your situation, or your evolving physique to anyone. Because you don't owe anyone an explanation as to why you may be gaining weight. Strangers don't deserve a justification on how you show up in your body. So come as you are and just focus on manifesting your own unwavering sense of self-worth rather than having to excuse yourself constantly for growing and healing to people who don't actually have a genuine concern for you. You don't owe anyone a justification as to how your body exists, what it looks like, how it evolves, none of that. Your body is your business. Your recovery is your business. Damn, sis, your life is your business. And if someone judges you for that, that's on them. You don't owe them an explanation to anything. You only need your own approval and not that of anyone else's. Also, I feel like now's a really good time to chime in with a reminder that your body's healthy weight may very well be one that is higher than a doctor's prescribed for you. 
your healthy body weight may very well be one that's higher than the one that society idealizes. And that's okay. Your body weight might be higher than the one that you once thought personally acceptable for yourself. This is also okay. No scientific weight estimating mechanism could ever decide your body's healthy weight. Your eating disorder can never decide your body's healthy weight. Society can never decide your body's healthy weight. Only your body can decide this. Okie dokie. Moving on to step five to dealing with body changes in recovery. And that's learning to practice body neutrality. In my personal experience, body neutrality in recovery is superior to body positivity. Because let's be real, unapologetic love for the body that we've spent years manipulating isn't going to be an instantly gratifying process. And body neutrality appreciates this and takes into consideration that, although if we lived in a perfect world, we'd feel constantly positive towards the skin we're in, this just isn't the case. And body neutrality allows you to lessen the expectations that you have upon yourself and your relationship with your physique. It means you're less likely to employ black and white, all or nothing kind of thinking towards loving your body. And you're less likely to swing from, oh, hey, I love the body that I exist in, to, ah, I hate every inch of myself. Also, something that really, really helps me is reaffirming recovery truths and truths about my body that align with body neutrality and really help me remain grounded when I'm having a bad body image day, which happens really frequently. I think that that's pretty standard across the board for people in eating disorder recovery, but also people, any any human being, because no one feels amazing about themselves 24-7. So these are my top three recovery mantras. So one, my body keeps me going and I am so grateful for that. Two, I will respect my body. And three, this is what my body is. This is what it looks like and I can accept it. You see, like body neutrality can also allow you to pivot your focus away from what your body looks like and toward what it allows you to do and the life that it allows you to lead. I don't feel head over heels in love with my body, but I do have an immense sense of appreciation for all the phenomenal things it gives me the ability to do. My arms, for example, allow me to embrace my loved ones and dogs. (laughs) My legs give me the power to literally stand up and follow my dreams. And yes, I'm very aware of how cheesy that is, and I don't even mind. And my midsection, my tummy, may very well bring life into this world one day. And by tummy, I don't mean my actual tummy. (laughs) I am aware of the anatomy that brings life into the world. Um, (laughs) I swear. But you get the drift. Like, your body is phenomenal for what it lets you do, not merely what it looks like. Okie dokie. So I hope all of those little strategies help you to deal with the evolving nature of your physique during whatever stage of life or recovery you're navigating. But I think it's time that I move on to some other questions that I was asked over on Instagram. Um, And the second one, let's have a look. Okay. Oh, okay. This one got asked really, really frequently. Okay, so it's how do I deal with comparing my body and the food I eat to other people? All right, so this is what I think. We humans, we come in all of these spectacularly different shapes and sizes and our health and degree of beauty does not in any way, shape or form come in one size fits all. Of course, though, our thin obsessed society and our eating disorders don't always appreciate this. So often we can find ourselves in comparison ruts 
and we're constantly comparing ourselves and feeling inferior in the face of supposed perfection that we perceive in others. So this is what really grounds me when I'm suffering at the hands of comparison. At the end of the day, only I know my reality. If I have an eating disorder that rules my cognition, it's ultimately my life, my sanity, and my peace that dwindles. If comparing my body to someone else's leads me to restrict my intake and essentially rely on an eating disorder to cope, I'm the one who suffers. And all for what? To emulate some kind of perfection I see in someone else? I've really had to make peace with the fact that some people have the capacity to live in a smaller body to mine without sustaining an eating disorder to do so. But that doesn't mean that I can. And I know that this sounds as though I've got such a warped value system that I've actually had to work on accepting the fact that I'm not smaller than I am. But this is unfortunately something that my eating disorder really did cling to and I had to consciously work to override. And feeling inferior because you don't possess the so-called perfect body isn't a reflection of a misplaced moral system. It's genuinely the nature of disordered eating. But here's a reminder. For some people, weight suppression doesn't trigger an eating disorder to completely impair their cognition. And body diversity means some people will inevitably be able to live happily and healthily in either a body that is larger or smaller than yours. And this is quite all right. But for those of us that possess the genetic predisposition to developing an eating disorder in the context of sustaining an energy deficit, weight suppression and manipulation could very well mean the difference between life or death. And it's just not worth it. Worth it for those of us who are susceptible to to developing disordered eating to manipulate our food and movement behaviors so as to bring about a change in our weight when we compare our bodies to those around us. Because that's when we welcome the opportunity to give power to our brain goblins that are triggered usually by any duration spent in energy deficit. It's all fair and well to admire the figure of others and maybe even envy their ability to eat and move in the way that they do. But this can't be the reason that we undernourish our bodies and risk re-entering a world governed by a fear of nutrition. If someone else can live a life that is full and meaningful at X size, good for them. But there's no point wasting our energy, longing to change our authenticity and having to deal with an eating disorder to do so. I guess I actually got a few questions navigating about navigating the world of diet culture and quote-unquote healthy lifestyles, you know, wellness trends and orthorexic tendencies. And honestly, once again, I cope through a matter of acceptance for my own health legacy, meaning I appreciate my past with disordered eating and vulnerability to relapse, and I use this knowledge to remind myself that I will never be able to dabble with weight loss or dieting. I will never be able to have that quote unquote, you know, like active lifestyle in that typical fashion model TikTok aesthetic sense that revolves around, you know, a life that is revolving around movement and, you know, all this like healthy quote unquote eating. I'll never be able to exist in that kind of in that kind of world. I'll never be able to have that kind of energy debt accrue. And not without an eating disorder, I mean. So yes I could. I could have a smaller body. I could leave that lifestyle if I really wanted it. But it would mean having anorexia as well. And that's something that I definitely, definitely do not want. And I know from experience it's not worth trading an extensively beautiful, full and vibrant life to have a smaller body and also 
have to deal with the miserable reality that is sustaining an eating disorder as well. And anyway, yes, that's okay. You know, I've come to accept that. If I would much rather have a full, vibrant, beautiful life in a body that makes my eating disorder uncomfortable than have a body that is comfortable to my eating disorder, but a life that is so painful to exist in. Yeah. So I don't want to have to shrink to no avail. And so I'm working on appreciating my own authenticity and appreciating the beauty in other people's without starving myself to try and be like them. Anyway. I suppose that's the pertinent message to take away. Try not to uh, worry too much about what you cannot control. There's no amount of incessant worry and frustration that will be able to change where your body's healthy and happy. There is no amount of, you know, worrying what the term healthy constitutes through the lens of diet culture. You know, there's nothing that worrying about that will actually do to serve your recovery. What does serve your genuine health, happiness, and recovery, however, is making peace with your health legacy and learning to have an appreciation for your unsuppressed body in whatever shape that comes in. Goodness, I know I would much rather work on living in a state of acceptance towards my authenticity versus living in a food and exercise prison to try and change my authenticity. And do you know what? Like hating your whole life and your reality because you have an eating disorder is a whole lot more life impeding than learning to love your authenticity is and learning to appreciate the life your body enables you to lead rather than how it appears to look. I really should move on. I'm waffling so much. Okay. So the next question is how to stop thinking food is just fuel and dealing with compulsions to eat quote unquote healthy foods only. I got a lot of questions like this. So first of all, Unless you're a freaking Toyota, food is not just fuel. (laughs) We not pieces of machinery as human beings. Food plays so much more of a role than to merely give us sustenance. Diet culture has an unhealthy preoccupation with energy intake. And I think we have learned to place so much emphasis on the nutritional properties of our food almost as a means of justifying to ourselves and the world around us every decision we make pertaining to our diet. And I think we've lost sight of the multifaceted role food plays in our day-to-day existence. And consequently, our society has an eating disorder, if you ask me. But food plays such a more varied, vital role culturally, relationally? Is that a word? You know what I mean? And experientially as human beings. Eating fosters the development of connection and flexibility and spontaneity. Food is the foundation on which we build bonds. Food is nourishing, it's medicinal, it's traditional, and even economics come into play with food. We make memories over food. Eating ties us together. It makes sense then that if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, This poor relationship has a rippling and detrimental impact on every single one of the aspects of your life. And if we lose the ability to interact with food positively, we lose the ability to interact with our life positively. So if you are like attempting to ascertain a perfect approach towards eating, for instance, 
you lose the ability to be flexible and fluid and spontaneous. And say your family go out for dinner, you know, because you're about to go out and see a movie and you're automatically ruled out of the equation due to an inability to adjust to the impromptu decision that's being made around you. And see, then there's a memory-making opportunity that's sacrificed. Do you see what I mean? Like if you have a poor relationship with food and an obsession with food and a need to perfect the food consumption process, it impacts every element of your life really, really quickly. If you are mentally consumed by food rules, this will interfere with every aspect of your life. And concern with a perfect approach to nutrition will affect every, every single inch of your day. And this is the epitome of unhealthy, right? Not having space for fluidity and flexibility is confining and life-limiting. And I think it's really easy to think, oh, I'm just being healthy. You know, I just, I'm just really fixated on eating what's quote-unquote clean and good for me. But this is an obsession that completely takes you away from reality and isolates you and leads you unable to interact with the ones that you love and be a active player in your life. You know what I mean? And that is so unhealthy. And just because society is obsessed with healthy like this doesn't mean that that's genuinely healthy. If you ask me, that's what constitutes a genuinely unhealthy life and an unhealthy relationship with food. We are human. We are not walking embodiments of the calories in versus calories out equation. Sorry, I've answered this in such a roundabout way, but I just want to emphasize that we are human. We have feelings, experiences, and emotion. Food gives that body sustenance, but it does so much more than just that. Viewing food as just fuel is such a disservice to food and your body and your soul. Like, yes, food provides us with energy, but that is not its exclusive purpose. You gain only an appreciation, I think, for the peace-ensuring properties of food when you've had a relationship in the past with it that is strained. Because a strained relationship with food is a strained relationship with life. Okay, so repeat after me. You are worthy of feeling pleasure and deriving joy from the eating experience too. We are not cars. Food is not just fuel. And on the topic of healthy food, right, there is no definition of health that applies to everyone. Health is contextual, it's nuanced, it's complex, and what's healthy for one person might not be healthy for another. Just because you're performing actions that challenge what's considered conventionally healthy for other people doesn't mean it's not the healthiest thing for you. In recovery, resting, sleeping, taking time off, not going to the gym, ordering hamburgers and donuts rather than salad, these are healthy very, very healthy actions. See, and some people, they might think, oh, well, they're, you know, that's, that's unhealthy. This isn't true. Remember, health is subject to individual context. No food is inherently unhealthy and no food is inherently healthy. What is healthy to you is unique to you. Ordering a salad isn't inherently healthy in the instance you're ordering it out of a fear that your body will change should you consume anything else. In that instance, ordering a salad is unhealthy because it's giving power to your eating disorder. And in the opposite sense, ordering a cheeseburger and six donuts is really, really healthy 
if that means that you're actively challenging a cognition that drives you to shrink into oblivion. See, like, we just really have to remember that we aren't, we aren't robots. Health is different. It's contextual. We aren't cars. Food is more than just fuel. We are complex, amazing, multifaceted human beings. And the way that we feed ourselves and the way that we live our lives is so, so, so much more complex and and spectacular than we actually a lot of the time give ourselves credit for. Anyway, I've been blabbing on for so long, so I have one more question that I'll answer. Okay, so this question is how to deal with being triggered. And okay, here's a disclaimer. You have a right to feel safe and secure. You are allowed to take measures to decrease your chances of being subjected to people, places, subjects, content, material, blah, 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 that kind of thing that you know trigger your disordered cognitions. And you're not a bad person for distancing yourself from triggers. You're not broken. You're not fragile. It just makes you an individual with a mental illness that occasionally experiences an emotional reaction, which requires regulation. You're not some kind of like, I always got stuck thinking I was broken. You know, I was like, why does this conversation about diet trigger me? You know, it shouldn't, but it does. And I've just had to be really accepting of that and just know that it's because of a mental illness that that triggers me and that's okay. And I'm allowed to do what makes me safe. And oftentimes that's stepping away from the trigger. Anyway, the perfect world, right, would be trigger-free. It would also be trauma-free, illness-free and comparison-free. But we just know that this isn't the case. This is difficult to hear and say, but ultimately our triggers are a result of our disorder. They are an emotional reaction. And in the context of being triggered, it's often tempting to blame what has caused you to feel unpleasant emotion, be it specific behaviors, situations, topics, etc., However, ultimately, yeah, our triggers are actually present in our minds. Phrases such as, oh, you triggered me, represent a desire to control our environment and externalize our triggers, which is so understandable and valid, by the way. But in reality, triggers aren't actually in our environment, but in our heads and in our associations that exist in the past and our fears and our anxieties. And this isn't me saying you're responsible for being triggered. Rather, your illness and your trauma are responsible. And sometimes people are blatantly triggering, and this can be because they're ignorant and irresponsible and dismissive, and that's not okay. However, oftentimes, people have no intention of being triggering. And of course, this doesn't mean that you deserve to be triggered or you deserve to painfully relive any kind of traumatizing experience. And it certainly doesn't mean that you're responsible for being triggered and that you should just, you know, pull yourself together. It's not what I'm trying to say at all, I promise. It just helps to remind me, me, I at least, that our triggers, you know, not everyone's out to get us. Does that make sense? Although it can definitely feel that way sometimes. Not everyone's out to trigger me. Not everyone has this malicious intent. Some people do, and that's really awful, but a lot of people, they're not meaning to be triggering. So here's how I reframe how I think about my triggers. Triggers are an emotional reaction 
and they are capable of making me feel really vulnerable, overwhelmed, anxious, kind of abandoned, out of control, and desperate. However, they do present me with an opportunity to grow and heal every time I'm exposed to them. If we went to every extreme to avoid our triggers, our world would quickly grow really small. It would also give a great deal of power back to our disorders. I found it really empowering to cope with my triggers in the sense that every time I am presented with one, although it inflicts uncomfortable emotion upon me, I actually am presented with the opportunity to prove to myself that I am safe, that I am strong, and that I am resilient. And every time I face a trigger and survive, my trigger holds less power over me, and thus, so does my disorder. The best piece of advice that I can offer with regards to triggers is surfing the urge and redirecting your attention away from performing disordered behaviors and towards performing alternative behaviors. So when you're exposed to a trigger, recognize the destructive, disordered behavior that you feel obliged to perform. Try to acknowledge but control your impulse and expect to feel you know, discomfort while you try and not act in the way that you're compelled to act. And expect to feel your compulsions, you know, to be alluring, you know, but respond with healthier, adapted actions. Helpful distractions and helpful, healthy behaviors that you can adopt instead of doing something that your eating disorder wants you to do when you're triggered can include things like, oh, for me, it's like reading inspirational quotes or journaling or going outside, taking a bath, fidgeting with objects that distract your senses. And just remember that distractions will not provide the same relief a a disordered behavior would in response to a trigger. But the more that you employ these destructive behaviors instead of performing the compulsion that your eating disorder wants you to perform when you've been triggered, the more that they will eventually become soothing. So I really like to also interrupt the connection between your trigger and your eating disorder. So oftentimes when we're exposed to a trigger, whatever that is for us as individuals, and in the context of disordered eating, we want to perform a eating disorder behavior to rid us of the discomfort that the exposure to the trigger has caused. However, this only serves to preserve our eating disorder because ultimately our eating disorder wants to be triggered because every time we're triggered, we're more vulnerable. We feel more likely to engage in disordered behaviors. And that is, that's the perfect opportunity for your eating disorder to chime in and to absolutely gain more power. So, Every time that you don't use your trigger to use a behavior, you get stronger in your recovery. And every time that you perform an opposite action to the one that you're compelled to perform in response to the trigger that you've been exposed to, the more powerful you become as your healthy self and your recovered self. And you serve your healing rather than a relapse. And just remember that too, like, Eating disorders, they seek to be triggered because every time you're triggered, you are so vulnerable. And so often they, you know, they get triggered by so much, (laughs) unfortunately. But yes, every time that you perform the opposite action, you are strengthening your recovery. And it is so hard 
but oh my goodness, it'll be so worth it when in five years time, you know, you're living your best life and triggers aren't the same grueling experience that they used to be because you've totally empowered your healthy self and you've employed healthy adaptive behaviors and you have become so strong. I always feel so uneasy talking about triggers because I never want to get the wrong message across, but I hope I've I hope I can help in just the slightest way. So just, yeah, surf the urge, distract yourself, remind yourself that you're not broken, that triggers do serve to preserve your eating disorder and that you can get past it. And I promise there will come a time when triggers that were once something that was so painful for you to experience don't elicit the same kind of absolutely world-disrupting discomfort. It does get better, I swear. I'm definitely going to have to wrap it up. I do apologize that this has all been a little bit disjointed. That new microphone that I mentioned at the start of the episode was actually quite difficult to um, get my head around. I think I finally got it now that the episode is over. (laughs) So hopefully that'll mean next week the whole podcast floor is a bit better. I apologize for that. And I would really like to start from the beginning and record the whole thing again. But I'm going to challenge my perfectionism and not do that because that would not <laughs> that would not be time effective on my behalf at all. And I definitely have a uni assignment that I need to commit to doing. And so <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to start this episode from the beginning and I'm just going to have to sit with the discomfort of it not being perfect. And that's OK. But I hope you've got a few things out of this episode. And I'm sorry I didn't get around to answering more questions than I actually did. I have obviously got a bad habit of waffling. Um, I'll work on that, I promise. (laughs) I'll be more succinct in future episodes. Um, Also, we can definitely, definitely look forward to next week because I have an interview coming up, which I'm so, so, so excited about. And I know that you will really, really enjoy. So look forward to that. And in the meantime, you know, take it easy on yourself. Like I said at the beginning, take a rest break, do that, perform self-care, run a bath, read a book, get out in the sun, do whatever you floats your boat but yeah take some time away just be with yourself accept how things are right now remember that you are phenomenal and that I've got your back and that I'm cheering you on and that you are so powerful and I'm so proud of you and until next week you just have a fabulous fabulous time thank you so much for listening (laughs) 